Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela This week we'll continue to mark the 70th anniversary of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bombings by taking a look at the artwork of Yukio Kawano, who has created a series of life-size replicas of the little boy and fat man nuclear bombs dropped by the US on Japanese cities in World War II. One of these pizzas was featured in a multimedia exhibition at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane called Ten Minutes to Midnight that showcased work from collaborations between atomic survivor communities and artists as part of an international arts and culture program called Nuclear Futures. Spanning three years, the project exposes the legacies of the atomic age through creative arts, and today we'll also be joined by Program Manager Elise Barkley to hear more about Nuclear Futures. First, let's go to an interview I recorded with third-generation Hibakusha, Yukio, in the week following the Hiroshima and Nagasaki commemorations, about her artwork and her experience of being involved with Nuclear Futures. At a quarter past eight... Hiroshima time on the 70th anniversary um, people in Brisbane gathered around your little boy artwork in the 10 minutes to midnight showcase and at a second little boy artwork in Seattle you were also gathered and can you tell me about how that felt? As a, a person from Hiroshima I mean, it's an everyday thing. Like, in, if you live in Hiroshima, you will know 8.15, you hear some uh, silence. Since I moved to the States, it was my, like, very private thing. That every year, um, it's uh, 4.15 p.m. on August 5th in, like, West Coast time. So I would just quietly, you know, sit down and remember the day. So you can you can imagine how you know how powerful it is to share the moment with you know other people and how moving and I just feel very hopeful like I'm doing it in in the States with other people that that has such an effect on me. And this year, I know that people in Brisbane is doing it too, in, you know, um, in front of my my object. So it was just a, you know, special, special moment. Could you describe for our listeners your series of artworks based on the nuclear bombs? Okay, so Little Boy and also Batman is a replica of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima and also Nagasaki three days after. And uh, what I do is uh, I use uh, kimono silk fabric that uh, I either, which is either my grandma's or I find 
the fabrics that I find in her, I found in her cabinet. And first I was uh, using my hair just to mark the silk fabric. So I was just stitching on the silk fabric and during that process there is this discourse of my memory, my history, and uh, my DNA. So, you know, dark history, dark image, uh, the atomic bomb. First, I was making little boys. So I was like hanging objects, and then I was thinking about the, the memory and the history and and my hair, looking at my hair, when I brush my hair or when I was washing my hair, I see my hair uh, going down to the, you know, the drain, and and it's just such a grotesque sight for me. So I had to um, have this discourse of what, where is, is it coming? Why is it so, you know, grotesque for me? And um, naturally, this image of uh, the woman losing their hair after the radiation sickness take over them, taken over them. So, you know, everything is connected. There is always this link that pulls me back to the atomic bomb. So um, I... It was just, I think, that was kind of natural um, response that I made an atomic bomb out of kimono. Can you tell me a little bit more about that history? Uh, well, my my grandmother is uh, she she's actually still living in Hiroshima. She's uh, ninety four. She's not making kimono, <laughs> but she's still living in Hiroshima. Um, the thing is, she lives in, uh, like, a little bit countryside, north uh, of downtown. So she was safe. Mm-hmm. But um, after the bomb, all the injured bodies were sent to the north by train. So um, she had to go to her train station and 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 there were bodies in a train station, so she had to take the bodies to the nearby school where they can the the injured bodies are treated or um, uh, they they did the cremation too at the school ground, mm-hmm. so in a way she encountered the radiation through the bodies, but not directly. It's my mother's side. Um, My mother's father was in downtown. He was working for the Chugoku Electric Company, and it's uh, pretty 800 meters from the, the ground zero. So, um, if he were at the um, outside or the upstairs of the building, then he won't be around. 
but mm-hmm. uh, he at that moment he was in the basement, so he survived. And two years later, my mother was born. So I carry this, uh, um, you know, third, gener- third generation legacy um, through my mom, through my mother's side. Uh, my mother, born after the uh, my grandma grandfather, was treated with his uh, uh, the radiation sickness. He, she was she was pretty weak, and my grandfather and grandmother was pretty worried about her. Uh, pretty much throughout her life, and uh, um, I lost her by cancer. But it was like years, years and le- years later. So nobody can really point out that 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 was caused by the radiation. That's my kind of family background there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing with yeah radiation sickness and the intergenerational effects is that it has been very difficult to prove those links we found that mm-hmm. here with, with victims from the Maralinga atomic tests as well it's already showing the you know very um, problematic side in Fukushima like the government is not um, you know saying that admitting that it, it's caused by Fukushima right mm. it's very troubling tra- troubling for me you know this this time, you know, this this DNA age, we were still struggling and still seeing these governments, you know, denying their responsibility. This is the Radioactive Show across the land on the Community Radio Network. You've been listening to an interview with Yukio Koano, one of the many artists whose work has been exhibited as part of 10 Minutes to Midnight. The exhibition is a showcase of works created by a collaboration between artists and nuclear-impacted communities in the Nuclear Futures Project. We'll come back to that interview with Yukio later, but now let's hear more about Nuclear Futures with Program Manager Elise Barkley. Nuclear Futures is a three-year arts and cultural program and we work with international atomic survivor communities using community arts processes. So it means that the community members are teamed up with professional artists and they create um, new works that expose the legacies of the atomic age. And so each of the atomic survivor communities that we work with have different experiences of how the bomb or bomb tests have uh, impacted their communities. So, for instance, we work with Aboriginal communities in South Australia uh, who were forcibly relocated during the 1950s and 1960s uh, British tests in Australia. And we also work with Japanese Hibakusha communities, atomic survivors from the 1945 nuclear weapons attack on Japan. So there's quite a diverse range of communities. They're just two examples. Um, And then the artworks that get produced are a storytelling forum and means to be able to keep the history uh, in our public arena 
and uh, overcome a bit of the cultural amnesia that happens around the impacts of nuclear weapons and testing. How does those connections with the Japanese Habaksha affected the work of, yeah, the Nuclear Futures Project? Well, the range of uh, artworks that have been created through the program are quite diverse. So there's some large-scale sculptures, there are um, projection installations, there's visual art and photo media, there's digital art, there's writing and book publications. So there's a whole suite of creative works that are being produced. Um, what was great about the season that we just did in Brisbane was that it was timed with the 70-year commemoration activities for the Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombings. And so we wanted to bring an international element into that exhibition to give Australian audiences a wider context for the Australian stories that were being presented through the creative arts. And so we worked with Yukio and had her um, replica silk uh, hanging sculpture of a life-size bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima uh, we had that as part of the in, uh, the exhibition, and that was really effective in telling the broader story and um, linking it with the other international communities. She deconstructs the kimonos and um, uses the fabric to make uh, replica bombs, uh, the fat man and little boy bombs that were used on Japan. And then she's also sewn her hair in it because within her hair are the genetic imprints of that radiation and that legacy. And they're really striking. And so there are a few accounts from audiences um, of their walking into the room and really noticing the sculpture, but not uh, understanding the gravity of the work until they got closer and saw her hair sewn in. And we also had that piece accompanied by a video um, capture of a Buto dance performance with another one of her sculptures. Buto is a very slow-moving, uh, intentional dance, and it really um, brought to life the sculpture that we had in there. And the sculpture was put alongside the portrait of a whistleblower exhibition um, put together by photomedia artist Jessie Boylan from Victoria, um, who worked with one of Australia's nuclear veterans, Avon Hudson, to tell his personal story of being a serviceman at Maralinga and also his journey into making the information public through the 70s and 80s as a whistleblower. And even though they're very different stories, the Australian nuclear veteran and the Japanese Habaksha, um, the themes related and they worked really well in the space so it gave audiences a, a depth of understanding about the diversity of impacts that have happened in the atomic age. Mm. And what has been the response so far both from the affected communities involved and the public who have got to view some of these artworks and engage with them? So the two stages of the process is um, the making of the art, and when we work with um, when we've worked with the Yalata communities, and also with the nuclear veterans and descendants community in Australia, we made two artworks um, that were projection installations with those communities, and both um, gave really positive feedback about how their stories 
were told and represented and also the high level of artistic merit that happened. Um, and during that process, there's also um, engagement and skills development and a whole range of on-the-ground um, workshops and things that happen as part of the art making. And then in the presentation side of it, we've had um, various showcases. So we had one in the 2015 Adelaide Fringe Festival in South Australia and recently we're in Brisbane at the Queensland University of Technology doing a season there. Uh, what's interesting and also shocking is that most audience members, um, particularly young people, haven't heard about the uh, atomic legacies that happen for Australians. <clears throat> and when we do our surveys and interactions with school groups, that becomes really apparent and also the limited knowledge of the Cold War and the con context around um, nuclear weapons industry and the atomic age um, is revealed. So most, uh, most audience members are really engaged and they're also learning new bits of information and there's a curiosity and also an anger that gets catalyzed for uh, many audience members from hearing the stories and trying to make sense of, you know, the governments involved, the British and Australian government um, decisions of that era. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that it still continues to be an issue and a debate today. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Are there going to be more showcases coming up with the project? Well, we're going into a planning phase now and we're um, organising how to tour the work. We have um, an exciting range of artworks that we call the showcase, um, multimedia, and um, representing different communities. So we'll be looking to show them in metropolitan cities like Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide. And there are possibilities for showcasing in the United Kingdom and also Japan, um, and also presenting work um, in opportunistic ways to signify, um, you know, to have a presence at events and other anniversary dates over the next few years. So it will definitely be uh, out and about and people will be able to see the works in those cities. The community arts processes and the work on the ground with community will continue over the next 12 months. And one of the exciting um, events on the horizon is in early September. We've got three young women from Yalata, an Aboriginal community in South Australia, travelling to Japan to participate in an international youth leadership workshop in Hiroshima. And there they'll work with uh, delegates, representatives from uh, several other atomic survivor communities. And these are people in their 20s, that might be grandchildren of um, people affected and they're learning digital media skills, oral history collection skills um, and uh, their um, focus will be on collecting their family stories and making them into artwork. Uh, so that's an exciting opportunity coming up for those delegates from Yalata and there's other kinds of residencies and uh, community-based works that will continue to build up the creative works that are being produced for the showcases.
That was Elise Parkley from Nuclear Futures, and you're listening to The Radioactive Show, heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Now we'll return to hear more from one of the artists who collaborated on the 10 Minutes to Midnight Showcase in Brisbane, Yukio Kawano. The showcase exhibits collaborations created by the Nuclear Futures Initiative that works with nuclear survivors in Australia, Britain, Japan, Marshall Islands, Kazakhstan and India to build upon story sharing and focus on community resilience. Speaking with Yukio, I got a sense that the aims of the project to turn the experience of the bomb into an opportunity to build the international campaigns for peace and disarmament is being realised. In this excerpt from an interview with her in Seattle, we hear her talking about some of the hidden aspects of the atomic legacy in Hiroshima and her experience exploring that through her artwork and more recently through her involvement with Nuclear Futures. The history tells also that um, a lot of Ibaksha they were kind of hiding, try, uh, yeah, hiding from the from the fabric because of the being sti- stigmatized. So they have this attitude of, oh, I shouldn't, you know, speak up, then they will know that I am Hivaksha, and that that's how they have been surviving all these years. So their voice hasn't, like, really not part of by the bigger audience, general audience in Hiroshima. There are a lot of talk about, you know, Japanese being uh, being a victim and um, showing the, these horrible photos. They use these images to promote peace. Um, but at the same time, the original voice didn't have an opportunity to really speak out. And I was born in 1974. So, let's see. So, Japan had a like, huge economic growth, right, in the 60s and 70s um, up to 80s. So what the Hiroshima city was trying to do during those times was um, there was huge anti-nuclear movement in the 50s and there were, uh, you know, huge demo- uh, demonstration and the movement was really, really strong. And starting in the 60s, the city was trying to promote, like, a peaceful and... Uh, clean and happy, mm. not like the dark Hiroshima, but they were like trying to bright up the Hiroshima and clean up the Peace Park. Uh, like they, they were really vicious cleaning up all the, the scars. So, you know, to me, already like that was 30 years later that I was I was born um, in a city, and I couldn't really see the scar, you know? And 
I feel like there should have been better way to keep the keep the scar and really careful of thinking of how to rebuild the city after the war. As we were talking before about radiation sickness after Fukushima as well, it sounds like a similar thing is happening in that people who are affected by the radiation sickness are feeling stigmatized and like it's something to hide. Right. It is really sad that uh, this is this is really happening in this in this century that people have access to internet and so the voice needs to be hard. I mean, there is so many ways now that we can, you know, voice these uh, victims. But, yeah, it's, it's just in a situation that uh, um, that you are so discouraged by the nation and by the people around you that uh, speaking up is not not something that will help you, then I guess you will believe it. And, you know, because of the sickness and because of the situation that you are um, staying in this temporary housing for so many years now, that you are just so drained. I mean, you feel you are so tired, I guess, that um, you can't you can't feel motivated enough to okay what what can I do to change the situation that I I am in you know so there are a lot of uh, um, elements I guess that uh, um, is stopping us from speaking up and try to make things better. During this uh, um, last week, the Memorial Week, um, I had I had opportunity to introduce the uh, the folks who are working um, on the same subject. One is a Washington physician of social responsibility, and the other one is a particle on up on the wall. So these groups have very similar subjects. And because I had opportunity to be involved in both, you know, uh, Brisbane Nuclear Future and the Washington Position of Social Responsibility through my art, I hope that that's the key. Like, I, I feel like maybe all these organizations can get together somehow by making art. And that will, you know, make it so powerful, right? If all of us can get together and say, no, <laughs> we had enough, no more. So this, this experience, you know, uh, that I had last week really made me feel that this might be possible, that we can do it. 
That's all we have time for today. But if you'd like to find out more about Yukio's artwork, go to yukiyokawano.com. And the Nuclear Futures website is nuclearfutures.org. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Wurundjeri, a part of the Kulin Nation, and broadcast across the continent through the Community Radio Network. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us via email radioactive.3cr at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. The podcast of today's show and others like it can be found at 3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. Thanks so much to Yukio Kawano and Elise Barkley for joining us on the show and to Noriko Terano for the beautiful backing music. We'll be back next week with more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. And until then, take care.